Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast. Um, Christian is notably absent, but also absent from this conversation because he was not of this earth when our subject was uh, happening. This uh, We are talking about the 35th anniversary of Live Aid. This is, uh, you know... We this, are the, the world big, and we are the children. Yeah. Uh, the big global trend in 1985 was the all-star benefit record. And the Brits took the uh, reins first, Bob Geldof and Midge Err of... Bob Geldof of the Boomtown Rats, um, kind of a washed-up Irish punker, and uh, Midge Err of Ultravox, who were a massive band in England and not not especially well-known in the U.S., um, you know, took it upon themselves to gather their friends, their uh, sort of strong-arm some people, and record a benefit uh, single for... Uh, Ethiopian to aid Ethiopian famine victims called Do They Know It's Christmas? Um, <clears throat> the U.S., uh, not to be outdone, obviously, uh, then on the night of an awards show, I believe it was the American Music Awards, Quincy Jones corralled uh, most of the big stars that were involved at that awards show and uh, wrote a song along with Lionel Richie, and I believe Michael Jackson. And yeah, it was MJ, yep. We Are the World Was Born. And um, is it, you know... I think Michael of, added the lyric, We Are the Children, but I'm not sure <laughs> got that. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, as is typical of, of uh, the U.S., we did a bigger, you know, sort of <laughs> louder and, and less nuanced... Uh, yeah, version. version of the I, same all I thing. can remember is uh, Bruce Springsteen in a cutoff jean jacket. Um, yeah. You know, doing a full on like uh, Louis Armstrong impression or something. Yeah, Louis was, Armstrong was a, a short white guy from New Jersey. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty atrocious. Um, anyway, uh, during the recording of Do They Know It's Christmas or, or slightly thereafter, um, Boy George, actually, of all people, suggested to Bob Geldof that he take this idea and make it a large-scale benefit concert, almost a telethon of sorts. And so the the idea for Live Aid was born. It was a very, uh, you know, very novel approach and very, um, you know, I'm not going to say anything except that this was an incredibly noble effort. But uh, basically there were going to be twin concerts, one in London and one in New York that uh, eventually was, you know, for scheduling reasons, was moved to Philadelphia and um, they were going to simultaneously, or they were going to overlap, but it was going to be the same day. So basically about 16 hours worth of live music broadcast globally over television, viewed by 1.9 billion people. So this was, you know, an insanely uh, big setup taking place at two football stadiums. Um, you can apply the term football to uh, in both cases. And, um, you know, it was it was an interesting, you know, the thing I, I'm interested in talking about really is um, this is one of those events that, that came at a time, you know, we were, we are eight years apart and, but this became, this came at a particularly, um, you know, crucial time when, or crucial difference in age when I was pretty cognizant of what was going on. I don't know that you were as much. I think you were eight years old. I was eight. Yeah. And, um. Before I jump in, I apologize for uh, 
any background humming. I just am in a non-air conditioned apartment right now, and, and uh, it's a little uh, unbearable to not have a fan going. So, just uh, apologies to our producer Damien. Um, hopefully, it's not too distracting. But um, yeah, no, I was eight years old, and and so my introduction really was via. There was a lot of you know, back then it was the era of, of network news. So, um, you know, our mother in particular constantly had the news on and, and there was a lot of, you know, information and news coming out around the, the, the famine in, in Africa, Ethiopia and, and the starving um, children in particular. And so you had a lot of imagery. Um, I didn't necessarily tie the two together. Like I definitely remember getting on the yellow school bus as you did as, a, as an eight-year-old and, um, you know, avoiding spitballs because I was wearing our sister's uh, 1970s backpack with a rainbow patch on it. It would probably be pretty cool these days, actually, <laughs> but um, not anymore, not back then. And, um, you know, and, and the bus driver at that time, we were in Massachusetts, um, played pop radio all the time. So We Are the World, the song, was constantly on. I mean, it was on all the time. And uh, I... I very much liked it at the time because I was eight years old. I think I even <laughs> might have learned it in, on piano, um, you know, for my piano classes. Um, but yeah, I didn't necessarily tie the two together. And then I do remember because cable had just sort of hit or had kind of hit the area that we lived in. Yeah, um, it was pretty watching late, pretty late, in late arrival in Massachusetts. Yeah, definitely, and especially where we were. But um, you know, you were a teen. I think um, you know your your. Uh, stepsister my sister Lisa too was was uh you know also very big in music and big into that that 80s kind of music scene and so um I do remember definitely like a lot of buzz around watching the performances and so I, I vividly remember and you know this it's weird because one of those things where it could be that I've seen footage since or it could be that I actually remember seeing that I do remember that living room quite well and and uh I do remember, like, U2, and, and uh, because there were certain bands that you guys wanted to see, right? So I think, like, mm-hmm. U2 being one of them. Um, I remember a lot of hype around Mad- Madonna, right? It was one of her first performances, yeah. and, and she was in England, Those were big Not, things, yeah. Yeah, coming out parties, and um, and then, like, things like, you know, Zeppelin and stuff. I have no recollection of, of you know, <laughs> ever performing or, or um, you know, some of the other acts. So it's, it's funny, like, some of the, the big names and the no-names that were involved... But it's also just weird that, you know, it was an event, it was a telethon, it ended up kind of doing quite well, I think probably, you know, you could argument the actual impact it had on, on the, the famine, but uh, quite well, definitely in world recognition. It also brought in, it was a time where you still had the Eastern Bloc, right? You still had, you know, yes. Cold War with the Soviet Union, and it was, I think, one of the, the few sort of Western um, events that was broadcast throughout the Eastern Bloc. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think, I, I believe you're right, and they had their own... Um, addendum to it, I believe. They had a <clears throat> uh, Russian band Autograph uh, did a performance in, uh, in Moscow in conjunction with this. So, you know, there was, uh, yeah, there was an unusual sense of cooperation. Um, yep. and, and, in fact, you know, a real sense Very different of than COVID-19 as far as yeah, the cooperation it, goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the, for, uh, you know, the... Um, Beebs to get you know to gather some friends and, and do a COVID uh, single uh, relief COVID yeah. relief single, but you know it was it was I you know now that I'm looking back at it I remember it you know uh, there did you know as all these things are they're generally you know sort of remembered for their highlights and you know obviously 
Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie was made uh, a couple years ago and really, you know, sort of brought to the fore or brought back to the fore the memory of, of uh, Queen's kind of knockout performance uh, and in Wembley yeah. and Freddie Mercury kind of commanding uh, that crowd. But to be honest with you, I remember this being an incredibly disappointing um, you know, sort of lineup and uh, and you know execution, uh, with very few exceptions. U two and Queen being really the uh, you know the two that everybody remembers and rightly so. Um, yeah, the Queen. You know, some of the funnier Sorry, names when I when I looked back at the uh, you know at the lineup were um, I mean a there's a you know I, I love Sade, but I can't imagine Sade playing a football stadium. It's kind of a bad. Uh, no. But, you know, the Hooters and Nick Kershaw and, you know, weird stuff like, you know, Rick Springfield it, being kind of bumped up the masthead and Billy Ocean and, you know, all of them were, were significant I mean, Billy Ocean, those time, guys were huge at the time. They're not yeah. people who, who sort of withstood the, the, the test of time. You know, bands like Power Station, which was, you know, sort of a novelty one-off. Um, in fact, my one uh, friend who, I, uh, who went, Paul McNamara, um, was uh, was telling me about his story as far as it went. Uh, he went to Philadelphia to see the show, uh, loaded up with um, you know alcohol and and uh, you know whatever else you sneak in illegally. And he said he remembered Joan Baez performing and then kind of blacked out for the rest of the <laughs> afternoon. Oh so. man, that's that's horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so he One missed Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Aria, Speedwagon, Brian Adams, the Beach Boys. Um, but yeah, well, it's, and it, it, it's a hard feat. I mean, it's a lot of time. It's, you know, television, televised. And then you also, uh, you know, what I think people think is a draw, like to your point, Sade being huge at the time is not a draw. It's like, you know, it's funny. It's one of the things we, we used to, the, one of the very few things we used to complain about on the Pitchfork Festivals that we always had access to, nothing, you know, nothing, no noble cause there other than um, lineup comparison where you just sometimes, because it was an indie stalwart, would have, you know, sort of a, in a uh, you know, an acoustic set or something on the main stage, and you're sort of like, yeah, you know, like, I just, you don't need to put that person there, um, yeah. no matter how good they are. Yeah, the, the, the skill of songwriting doesn't always overcome a massive crowd. The one thing I was interested in, though, and this is very retrospective looking, although, it, you know, I think it did occur to me at the time because I was, <clears throat> you know, very much a sort of Smith's uh, REM, uh, the the stalwart at, uh, at that point. Um, I wanted to see you too, but, uh, you know, bands like, you know, Zeppelin reuniting didn't, didn't do a lot for me. They had only broken up a few years before, and I didn't really... Um, love them and appreciate them the way that I do now. Uh, bands like The Who getting back together, having I for mean, the umpteenth time. No, actually, for the first time. This was, no, that was the first. You know, this of is many. the amusing thing is that they, you know, they had their farewell world tour that was in '82 that may have bled into '83, but you know, this was a big deal that they were getting back together to play. And, and you know, in both cases, both bands uh, lost a drummer and had to sort of, you know replace him uh in the who's case they had replaced him already with kenny jones for the farewell tour from faces but uh in you know zeblin's case they wound up winging it with uh, phil collins uh, apparently um much to the consternation of jimmy page 
who didn't think he knew the songs and was proven correct by a really uh, shitty luster Led Zeppelin set. Um, you know, which was it's you know it's pretty amazing. If, if, but it also, I think, you know, now retrospectively looking at this, does this kind of puts a really fine point on the the sort of baton being handed off to the new breed, so to speak, yeah. who are, you know, obviously now quite established and old. Um, but you get, you know, you've got Clapton, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young, Zeppelin, you know, Neil Young playing solo, Mick, Bob Dylan, um, you know, McCartney, uh, Queen, Elton John, all these 70s holdovers that people were excited about, but they they were kind of trying to figure out how they fit in in the 80s, and it was kind of an awkward uh, yeah, transition. Like a, a mix of mailing it in. David Bowie, Mick Jagger, um, transcontinental duet of Dancing in the Streets, which was um, <laughs> a colossal fuck-up that was relatively quickly aborted. Yeah, no, it is interesting. And I always, you know, kind of, I, I think that that holdout crowd took it all the way into the early 90s. Do you remember any of the other acts besides you two? No, I really, it's funny, I really don't. You know, I, I, like I said, I know it from the benchmark song. Um, I had no interest in a Crosby, Stills, and Nash at that time, or, or didn't even know who the hell they were probably at eight. And, uh, and to your point, too, with Zeppelin and things like that. Um, I don't Madonna for pure sexual purposes was interesting to me and, and definitely coming on the scene. Um, but you know, no Prince, right? No. Um, I mean, there was a lot of like kind of acts that were big for me at the time and just basically, basically on radio was sort of like the, the era of, of Madonna representing the females and Prince representing the males and the females at times, you know? And so it was, there really wasn't a, and Bruce Springsteen probably, you know, being kind of at the height, I guess, in, in MJ, yeah. Michael Jackson, but like, those are kind of the Conspicuously big. Conspicuously absent Bruce Springsteen, considering. Yeah, which I'm backyard. shocked. Well, he blew out his voice, I think, singing that one line, and, and We Are the World. But, yeah, I keep um, thinking it's tonight, thank God it's them instead of you, but it, that was the wrong song. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's, it's funny, and I think you too, I mean, not to, to jump right into that, but. Um, you know, it, it, they were a band that I kind of knew from your yellow uh, metal file cabinet desk uh, via, you know, bumper stickers of war <laughs> and a boy. And, um, you know, and I think they delivered in a way that they were, you know, it was that time where, like, you had a young, hungry act who was just righteous enough to really actually probably care. Um, and also they, they uh, on, that day. on the way up. Yeah. And, and really, you know, aside from just the the mullet that Bono sported throughout the late 80s there, uh, mid to late 80s, was, was you know, style-wise enough to turn you off. But, but man, did, you know, they came out and, and both delivered in, in, I think, essence and sound, kind of like an urgency and, and uh, you know, call to arms. But they're like, hey, we're, it's us now. You know, it's our show now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty remarkable. They did a 12-minute version of Bad, which has, yep. you know, the eminently... Uh, Where he's out in the crowd, or you know, yeah. and, and it was it's pretty epic. And you know, I mean, of course, you know, right on script. If it weren't scripted, um, you know, he jumped down in the crowd to save a woman who was being, you know, crushed by the crowd. Right. You know, pulled her up and, and danced with her. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, become the most, you know, sort of uh, trite 
Bono move, but at the time was like it looked um, spontaneous and may very well, you know, I mean, by all accounts, it was. Um, he also had the very uh, he had the um, the benefit of of uh, following Paul Young on stage, who was about as dull as. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't you can even tell you, you know, one of those classic he, British singers who, you know, has like three big, uh, you know, black women singing who, gospel who, behind him and taking full, you know, taking full credit for, for of, creating a hit that way. Yeah, and, and who the British press probably lauded as the next John Lennon, but um, but yeah, it's also um, I feel like Madonna too with the kind of you know oversexed. Uh, like a virgin, she played like a virgin there. That's right, in like a wedding dress, right? I, I could be mixing up my Madonna performance. I think you're she mixing has a classic up. MTV performance too. Correct, but she okay. was, but but you you have it right. She was, um, she this was a big coming out for her too. Yeah, and then the Queen, I don't remember unfortunately, but I feel like I do after seeing Bohemian Rhapsody because you know it was I one. I, I'm sure I skipped them. You know, that yeah. wasn't my M.O. at that point. It's like, yeah, Queen, what are they going to do? Although, um, unlike Zepp and, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who I, I literally probably just didn't know at age eight um, because, you know, I didn't have the benefit of you being a big class. You were kind of um, veering, in, like I said, in the... classic rock. Yeah, the right, which we kind of all go through at times. But, um, but then, um, you know, Queen, like, you know, We Will Rock You and... and uh, you know, we are the champions and stuff. You know, those songs were still timeless in my mind. So I, I might, yeah. I may or may not have, have caught that one, but I think I really wanted the cast of We Are the World to get up and sing We Are the World, and that's what I was waiting for the whole time. It didn't happen. I didn't realize why it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully that didn't happen. I did uh, subsequently, side note, did go see Lionel Richie at the Hollywood Bowl about seven years ago, and he did close with We Are the World. Really? Um, wow. Yes. Did he sing every part? Um, I don't think he, I don't think he sang the thing tonight. Thank God it's them instead of you. He, he knew that was the wrong song. But, you know, I, I also remember, you know, from, from, you know, just sort of, you know, I knew the cars were a weak live band and, and so yep. the car, you know, the cars were there and, and lot, you know, Kenny Loggins and people like that. It just, it was a weird lineup. Like there was a lot of stuff I didn't want to see. Um, so I don't remember, you know, being as big a music fan as I was back then. I don't remember dedicating a day to watching this. I remember very uh, much sort of incidentally catching snippets of it, and you know, like Grandma knowing that this was happening, so that you knew it had reached a, you know, a, a place in the public consciousness that, you know, where an eighty then what was this twenty. 35 years ago. 35 years ago. 100. Um, yeah. She, you know, was, even she was sort of talking about it and talking about Bob Geldof and, you know. Yeah, who was kind of, I mean, let's talk about him real quick. Was there a dramatized version of this or a doc um, recently? Because I feel like I watched something, maybe it was just like a, a one of the many music talks that we've mined on Not Amazon or whatever. Not no. I, but there was also like a point in this event I remember that like things really started to take off for the fundraising purposes. Yes. Um, oh, that was that was bo- in Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. When, okay. Duh. That's been when <laughs> you know they, yeah. they sort of uh, fictionalized like, oh my God. the thing about Queen. 
actually, the, this is an interesting story because um, it really was, you know, the, the numbers were disappointing at the beginning yeah, of the Yeah, that's what I recall. It was sort of and, like this you know, kind of non-event. Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen goes on, blows everybody off the stage, and then the numbers start jumping. In all yep. actuality, um, what, what did happen, and this is kind of funny, is Geldof was, was watching the returns come in and, and not being very impressed with them. Uh, got on TV and very controversially for 1985 said something along the lines, and I will paraphrase, pick up the fucking phone and right. start. <laughs> and that's what really jump started. And it turned out that, you know, I mean, they raised an, an, you know, an enormous amount of money, I believe. Yeah. You know, and I think, too, a guy that, you know, maybe had more cachet in, in, in England with. Um, Pretty down. marginal figure on both sides, but actually. yeah, it just wasn't exactly the guy that you thought would be leading the charge, you know. And uh, and I think forever, you know, kind of put himself in the history books, obviously, but but really kind of became to, the face of it too. Yeah, he's referred to in England as Saint Bob. Um, right, he has obviously been knighted since. He's an interesting guy too. I mean, he's from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, you know, which uh, I know well now. After, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, he's not Irish. I mean, he is Irish of birth. He right, is, but, yeah. uh, his, I think his father was, like, um, Belgian-Jewish or something. Um, you know, his parents were immigrants. Um, and so he, you know, he, he's very much from Belfast, but, um, you, know, not a, you know, not an entrenched um, in, the, in the sort of Catholic, Protestant, you know, sort of uh, issues that we constantly think of when we think of Belfast in the 80s. Well, also, you know, starts he, off at, he, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, he was kind of a, even at a young age, he just had a kind of a cool presence. Yeah. You know, like, I think he was a guy that, like, um, looked sincere, uh, but, like, somebody that could talk you into giving money to, you know, like, all of all walks of life. Like, he was a great spokesperson for that in a weird way to me because well, of the time... He was, you know, he wasn't so big that you had any opinion of his music, apparently, you know, or most people didn't. And he I mean, also kind of... I was a Boomtown Rats fan. I mean, I was a big fan of, like, yep. Up All Night and, and Don't Like Mondays. Um, and great but, song. You know, yeah, but I Don't Like Mondays is a weird song, too. I mean, it's a, you know, it was a big yeah, hit, song about but it's about a school shooting. Woman who um, killed, yeah, exactly. Diego. Yeah. Um, you know, he was always around the scene, but never a big player in the scene and the the fact is he you know he his 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 career success came more as a tv presenter in england than it did as a musician and then weirdly he was cast in the main role of pink floyd's movie version of the wall right um, okay yeah and uh you know Creaky sort movie. of sometimes so sort of known as a sometimes actor sometimes singer sometimes talk show host and you know that's a, a, again a set of skills that makes you particularly compelling and convincing when you're when you're proselytizing and asking for money at the same time um yeah but you know he it was impressive i mean some of the back uh, background stories about strong arming people and basically playing to their egos calling Elton John and saying you know, Bowie's already committed, even though Bowie hadn't already committed. Yeah. Um, you know, there should be... Those classic backroom deals. Yeah, it's actually... It would be kind of interesting. Um, or a doc, because there's got to be so much footage, too. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and weirdly, some of the, you know, sort of ancillary pieces that people forget. I mean, this was hosted on TV by Jack Nicholson. I saw that, and I was, yeah, shocked. I mean, that's another one that... Um, 
you know, weirdly, like, what a great person to get for this because you have somebody that, again, is universally loved, comes across as kind of cool, but also, like, like the kind of guy you want to hang with. You know, you want to do, mm-hmm. if he, Jack Nicholson asks you to do something, you're like, oh, yeah, definitely, let's do that. You but know? I think at this, at this point in time, you know, I mean, being 2020, the guy doesn't really even exist on the planet anymore. It's like he's right. sort of a myth. And, yep. you know, at this point, he was somebody you would see on TV. I mean, they had, you know, Bette Midler, Marilyn McCoo, who was a talk show host at the time, but also the lead singer of Fifth Dimension, um, Chevy Chase, Joe Piscopo. I mean, it was it was a mishmash. And, and again, like I said, it, it kind of, um, you know, I hadn't realized until I went looking retrospectively how much of a changing of the guard this kind of signified. We always refer to... 84, 85, 85 being when Live Aid happened as a sort of, you know, the era of the rock star. It was Prince, MJ, conspicuously absent again, uh, Bruce, Madonna, and to a certain extent, Bowie was the was the holdover. Yeah, was Bowie success. kind of held it on. Cindy Lauper, you know, that kind of world. Yeah, but, you know, all of those people were new and, you know, the old guys were the Crosby, Stills and Nashes and, the, you know, and they were all sort of sputtering out, um, you know, somewhere between tour and rehab. Um, but, you know, bringing in Zeppelin and, and you know, the who. McCartney and, and all these people, the who, you know, they were they were aiming, you know, they were sort of trying to appeal to a broader audience. But, you know, it was very... Well, uh, much of a of a time of change in terms of who was popular. Yeah, you were kind of, and we'll talk about in the next segment, sort of the people, the coming out party, you know, Sting being one, the police breaking up, and, but, you know, who now seems very classic rock, but that still was New Guard at that time. Um, and then the other one, too, is uh, Phil Collins, who kind of bridged that gap as well, to my earlier point of, right. you know... Um, do you want to take a break and come back? Yeah, let's take a break, and then we'll talk about some of the, the individual acts. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. Um, it's Wyndham and I, and we're talking about the 35th anniversary of Live Aid, the uh, 1980s uh, global charity event that raised boatloads of money for uh, the famine in Africa, um, gave us both the uh, UK classic, Do You Know It's Christmas, and the um, We Would Love to Forget and Disown, We Are the World, the American version, but also a... Uh, you know, two concerts on, on uh, you know, two continents and uh, and all the stars of the day, plus the star, you know, some coming out stars um, and changing of the guards. So we had some dinosaurs and uh, people like you two, Madonna, hitting the scene for the first time. So 1.9 billion viewers. I was eight years old. Um, 
when you were 16, correct? 16? I was, uh, yeah, 16. And so uh, just kind of our take on it. In the first half, we kind of talked about the general events, Bob Geldof, what he did, and, and kind of wanted to get into some of the artists and some of the, the impact that some of the individual artists had, some of the highlights and lowlights. So um, you were way more tuned into the music scene then than I was. Um, you know, yeah. Give me some of the, the, the events. And we talked about Queen, obviously, and, and um, a little bit about YouTube. We can go into more of that as well. Yeah, I just, you know, it's it's funny to me, some of the ones that, and I think some of it was uh, uh, geographical for, because it was Philly, uh, which explains the presence of the Hooters. Um, yeah, what did the George Hooters Thurgood. sing? Good. <laughs> uh, that day, oh, uh, they okay. sang, and we danced in All You Zombies, uh, their two hits. Um, George Thurgood, uh, I get for that time period, he was huge. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was big, and he was from Delaware, so he was from yeah. right next door. I don't understand why Springsteen wasn't there. I'll right. bet you anything, Michael Jackson didn't feel like the performance would have been. You know, the uh, it was too slapped together for him. He he required a lot more. Yeah, I think, of, and Michael Jackson would have wanted his own night or something at that point. You know, he was yeah. Like, Holland Oates with Eddie Kendricks and David Ruffin. Um, had a pretty significant spot there, also two Philly guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, they. And Hall Notes at the time was at their peak as well, I would say. Like, you get a couple of those oh, groups yeah. that, like, you know, today looking back, and I, I, I think both of us are Hall Notes fans, but, like, um, you know, that was very logical, big billing to me at that time, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, I forget. Yeah. yeah we, uh, Paul McNamara was. was um, you know, talking about his old friend T Bone Walk, who was a bass player for uh, Hall and Oates. He had some apparently some funny stories about um, playing Live Aid and wondering what the hell they were doing. <laughs> um, and, you know, but uh, the, yeah, I mean Duran Duran. It, you know, I mean I'm sure you know, so much of this was tied to summer touring schedules. So you know, you had Duran Duran playing on the British. I mean, playing on the American stage. Um, and you know Mick playing on the American stage with uh, Tina Turner, and then you had Dylan playing with uh, Keith and Ronnie Wood, which um, I don't think I want to revisit that set. I can't imagine. Was, I mean, Dylan's propensity for for uh, bad Mumbling for bad life. Yeah, it's got to be rough. Um, but yeah, it was it was, it was a th- it, you know interesting. Lineup. I mean, but when you look over at the British side, you had, you know, U2, Dire Straits, Queen, David Bowie, The Who, Elton John, Queen, and Paul McCartney. I mean, that's a, you know, that is a Hall of Murderers Fame. row, yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I'm not sure the execution uh, was there beyond, um, you know, the amazing Queen set. In fact, the, the one thing I do remember, and this was, um, this is coming back to me now, is McCartney had some technical troubles. I believe he was singing Let It Be. And I don't think his mic worked. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, and that guy's amazing. So, you know, I think yeah. he muscled his way through it. And and then, you know. It's one of those things, too, you can't really throw a hissy fit for a better no, no, I'm sure many hissy fits were thrown oh, backstage. Definitely. And I'm sure many mountains of cocaine were consumed backstage yeah. as well. Um, you know, it, it you... Um, but you know, Run DMC played. That yep. was an interesting 
It's a pretty, um, you know, the British side particularly has very little, you know, in a uh, concert that was aimed at African famine relief. Um, I don't believe there were any um, black performers on the on the British well, side, which it's is it's also to be, you know, um, to kind of point out, like you really forget how limited that music was on mainstream radio or MTV at the time too, because yeah. Prince and Michael Jackson really Michael Jackson being the the sort of crossover artist. You know, it's something that you go back to, and I'm, I know MTV's been rightly criticized for over the years, and, and should be, but, um, you know, it was just so segregated, for lack of a better <laughs> term. It was, yeah, it no, really it was. was, you know, and it was, uh, and that definitely is reflected there. And I think, too, like, you know, we were talking about kind of the dinosaurs. I mean, uh, Phil Collins, who sort of morphed into a, a pretty big 80s star, but obviously it was also 70s, um, and, you know, probably got, some of these guys did kind of find their footing in the early 80s, and there was just a record industry you know, sort of obsession with that kind of crew of, of you know, 70s artists that kind of made them all their money. And, and you know, yeah. up until my early middle school, junior high years, you know, uh, MTV and, and was playing Don Henley videos, for Christ's sakes, you know, which is like... Yeah, Don Henley, cool. Steve Winwood. Yep. Um, yeah, huge. You know. And those guys all had huge albums around that era. Um, one notable act, and I think he was older, but was definitely kind of new guard at the time with the police, was Sting's solo performance as well, right? First solo performance? Yes. He joined Dire Straits to sing the intro to um, Money for Nothing. Which is a um, pretty damn good little Yeah. As much it, as it, I Sting, <laughs> that is a pretty great... <laughs> Phil Collins... Uh, you know, was the sort of jackknife, uh, the Swiss Army knife of this concert. He played with um, Sting, who had recently shed uh, Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland, and his new band was forming. Um, and I think his solo album probably came out that, that year, maybe a little later. Um, but he didn't sing. He sang all police songs, songs, police. And... Um, the other members thrilled. But the big... The big uh, gimmick uh, event of this was that Sting and Phil Collins played together then Phil Collins hopped on the Concord flew to Philadelphia wow. to play drums R.I.P. the Concord yeah no kidding I love the Concord um, his brother-in-law actually managed to get on once the only person I know yeah um, <laughs> yeah the, uh, the the sort of transatlantic uh, supersonic jet that used to fly from uh, the East Coast to London in like two and, and a half, three hours. At JFK wanted to be like, oh my god. Anyway, sorry, digress. Go ahead. No, no, but the big gimmick uh, for this event was that Phil Collins was going to play London, then hop on the Concorde, fly to the U.S., and then play the U.S. side as well, which he did. Um, he played uh, he played uh, two additional songs on the Philadelphia stage and then played drums um pretty poorly uh, for Led Zeppelin, yeah. uh, who did a three-song set that that really, as, as great as Queen's is remembered, um, Zeppelin's is, is remembered as being as bad as Queen's was good. But yeah, yeah that was the big Bill deal. Collins at the and time, the, too, was like your friend's dad, right? He, that was kind of nice yeah. and cool, and, and, like, uh, and I'm saying that mainly because I had a friend whose dad looked exactly like Phil Collins, but... Um, but yeah, it was like well, he seemed like just a, a bloke, right? Like a you know, hey guys, just a good guy. Yeah, being you know, having you know, being British, uh, he really looked like most of my friends. 
dads. Yeah, um, yeah he, he is short, an old British man in like 1974. Short, short balding Wal- <laughs> Welshman. Um, you know, I actually uh, flipped on Mona Lisa, a uh, 1986 film starring Bob Hoskins. Um, and I was like, my God, Bob, this was a, the mid 80s were a great moment for uh, prematurely balding British <laughs> men um, of, of marginal uh, looks. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was, that was the big deal. The, the funny story that I only read, you know, when I was doing research for this was that on the Concord, uh, Phil Collins ran into Cher and Cher had no idea that this was going on. And he talked yeah. her into going to the show and singing and she wound up singing back up um, or joining the chorus for We Are the World. Nice. Yeah. I mean, stories like that are, are, are definitely um, always fun. And I think too, like, I just don't know that this could happen again in that same way it did. I mean, to be put together that quickly and, I, you know, technical difficulties aside and to your point, like probably a pretty boring concert overall with, you know, it would be virtual. Yeah. It would be virtual. You could, you could watch it anytime, but also just the collective, like, and then, and then the criticism and the kind of ability to like knock it in real time too, um, you know, doesn't help. I think everybody at this time was, one thing I do remember was everybody was genuinely excited. And you mentioned our hundred year old grandmother to probably, you know, your 16 year old self to my eight year old self. There was a, you know, kind of like, wow, you know, this is, this is pretty epic. And you may have been a little more cynical, obviously at that age, but, um, but like for the most part, it was kind of this event that, you know, was very positive and, and kind of exciting um, even if it didn't deliver, you know, half of what you wanted, you're still going to remember a couple of those, like you said, you know, Bono pulling like the girl getting crushed out of the crowd or, or Madonna kind of coming out party and, and um, you know, the Phil Collins story, like all of those are, are still kind of the things you're going to remember about live aid, the t-shirts. Oh my God. Band-Aid. Good Lord. So yeah. many t-shirts. I mean, I, was, I do remember yeah. that vividly. Well, uh, you know, our sister Lisa was there. That's right. Um, yeah, that's right. Because she's a huge Duran Duran fan, too. I do huge remember Duran Duran, yeah. among other things. Um, but yeah, she was in the Philly uh, crowd. She, unlike Paul, I believe, remained cognizant for most of it, <laughs> and uh, or all of it. She um, skipped Joan Baez and didn't black out. Yeah, so she was treated to a... Uh, and I think she may have... Uh, I can't remember. She may have done some work for the Hooters or, or something like that. Um but uh, or was she at M- no? She was at NYU at the time. So, um, what she been doing younger believe. than that? Uh, no, you're right. She was in high school. You're right. She was in high school. Um, so, strike that. I thought maybe she was at NYU or MTV, but she is. Uh, she was at the Philly, and we should um, we'll get her on to talk about it at some point. But she, yeah, she had the pleasure of seeing the. Uh, Billy Ocean, Rick Springfield, Ario Speedwagon, uh, Judas Priest, Brian Adams lineup. Um, but anyway, it was, again, it was a very um, noble cause. It was a global event. It was historic. And it's it's hard to, you know, I, I also think, you know, much like this was a changing of the guard for musicians, it was a changing of the guard generationally, too. This was you know, kind of build as like our Woodstock, like our generation had changed, technology had changed, um, you know, and 
Woodstock, which, you know, was a colossal shit show, remembered as being the greatest time of, you know, the greatest thing that ever happened. Um, Live Aid was televised, so the flaws and all were going to be seen rather than, you know, the myth-making that could take place with something like Woodstock. Well, it's also, too, I mean, in comparison to Woodstock, where you have, like, you know, everybody talks about Jimi Hendrix's performance where, like, you know, everybody was asleep or nobody was there, you know, it was in the morning. (laughs) And I think this, too, to your point, like, it was a long day, and I think, um, you know, they, it was, it was this kind of, like, technological revolution and then also just a blending to your, to your point of, of music styles and, and you definitely had I think that was still in a good way at the time of like you need to prove yourself you need to be a rock star and I think the young mm-hmm. young upstarts really came out and, and took that mantle um, with the exception of Queen who, who did reunite for that as well because they were sort of hiatus or, or I don't done. know that they did reunite to be I don't honest think they with really you I think that's up, right I mean but yeah that was a that was a again that was a, I think I'm, a little bit I mean influenced. maybe they were on hiatus and yeah. certainly you I know mean, the band hadn't done much in a while and he was um, and I don't know if this is they fact. were on the wane yeah fact too but he was I wouldn't I wouldn't take the Bohemian Rhapsody uh, film version gospel. of the, <laughs> that of that chronology as as gospel as as you know was pointed out when Bohemian Rhapsody came out um, you know they were playing songs that uh, hadn't been released, released yeah that's true and for another was, four years during the early sessions yeah no that that is true it's the only part of that movie that gave me the chills so that's the only reason I'm I'm so fond of it. Um, but yeah, no, but I mean, I think to your point, yeah. So you had that kind of energy that was there, um, and then just acts that are completely forgettable and, and an unlikely hero and, and Bob Geldof. But, um, mm-hmm. I, as a youngin, you know, like I said, it was brought to me via the radio and we are the world and sort of the, the collaborations there. And then, you know, sort of the bands that, you know, you guys were into at the time. And, and that's my, my remembrance of it. Other than it was just, I do absolutely 100% remember how big it was. Like, that was big, yeah. big deal. You know, <laughs> like, it was not... Well, I mean, it, here's a question for you. It's like, say for a tragedy like 9-11 or, or, or something, um, is there, uh, is the world capable of a sort of monolithical, you know, monolithic, nice monolithical, um, you know, sort of uh, single day event like this is... Would people pay attention? Could you get the eyeballs on it? I think it? there's too many distractions, to be honest. I think you could do something like this, and you probably could do it better even and, and more kind of... I mean, the of, World uh, Cup. What's that? Yeah, the World Cup. I mean, you can do yeah, the yeah, World that's Cup. That's what I was but... thinking, actually. And when I think of live, I think of the World Cup, actually, in a weird way. But, um, but I do think that... Um, I just feel like there's so many distractions now that it's... Uh, maybe during quarantine, you could. But, uh, but otherwise, it, it, it's... There's just too many competing forces. Um, and also the ability to kind of tune in, tune out, pause. You couldn't do that then. You know, there was no DVR in yeah. Live Aid. There was no, um, you know. Yeah, that's true too. Streaming it or watching it later. I mean, if you were maybe lucky and had a VHS player, you could tape a bunch of it and then, like, realize that you taped nothing, you know, an hour <laughs> when you went back to watch it. Yeah, Because you revisit how to do it. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, no, I mean, for the sake of time, and I'm sorry, I have a hard stop today. Uh, I think we probably should go into our, uh, the way we end this, you know, always end this pod, and, and I apologize to cut off 30 oh, not to worry. years of, of uh, Live Aid, but... Um, of Sainthood. It, yeah. What are you listening to? So I, um, you know, 
having kind of mind the we talked in the last couple episodes just of running out of things to watch and um, I renewed a Hulu subscription due to, to <laughs> running out of things to watch and there was a, a movie in 2018 or documentary 2018 Minding the Gap which you had highly recommended and I think got a lot of critical acclaim um, Bing Lu is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Yeah, and so Bing Lu, uh, 12 years of footage, Rockford, Illinois, uh, three friends, um, skateboarders who kind of unite over skateboarding and, and come from troubled homes. Man, what a fucking great movie. Um, yeah. It's really powerful, really um, touching. I mean, for him in general, like the nuance and the sensitivity and the like care that he put around this project, um, I thought was like, really this kid is going to be great if he's not, he's already, you know, done one great thing and, and will continue to. But, um, you know, I being, you know, having loved skateboarding as a kid, I really loved that aspect of it, but it also was something that like we moved around a lot and I by no means had a childhood like these, these guys did. But it was like a uniting thing where I could find people that liked it and, mm-hmm. and I usually knew that they would have similar interests than me. So it was always something, and I, I'm still fond of skateboarding. I actually still have a skateboard. These kids are really good, so that part of it's cool. And then, for, for me, it was. But then the other part is, like, just that, you know, goes into a lot of kind of abusive homes and just poverty. And, and I think uniquely, you know, Asian-American, African-American, or black kid, and, and uh, just a troubled, you know, white kid as well. So it's three different um, ethnic groups, which is not at all the focus of the movie. Um, it's just sort of happenstance. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's really powerful. Like, it's a, it's a movie that ends well. Um, and, and it stays that, with you. Yeah, it stays with you. It really delves into, um, you know, just a lot of personal stuff. But I also think, like, you know, abuse being in one of the major through lines, and I'm not giving anything away there, but... Just the the escape that these kids need and have, you know, through mm-hmm. the one passion they have, and, and the different turns they take as they kind of grow up or starting to grow up, um, and you know, kind of go through it. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant movie. I'm really glad I finally got to see it. I, I wanted to see it. There was nothing holding me back except for access. Um, so yeah, older film. If you have Hulu, um, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And. Uh, yeah, just a great doc. I mean, it doesn't matter if you like skateboarding or, or anything. It, no. if you, it's more of a coming of age, I guess, tale, and then just a depiction of, um, you know, just what it's like to grow up poor. And, um, and you know, and still has a lot of, like, you know, family attributes and stuff like that. Sorry, I know I'm probably pontificating a bit on it, but I, I, it really was No, I, I, it, ha- it has that effect. It, it really makes you want to... Um, turn other people onto it. Yeah, it was one of the best docs I've seen in years, and, and probably best movies I've seen in, in a few years as well. Cool. So, I yeah, am. You. What are you listening to? I've been reading a ton. Um, so, uh, but the book I'm reading currently uh, is, I believe, a Pulitzer Prize winner, Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, um, which is a, a novel that takes place at a Florida uh, reform school. And it is uh, quite, you know, quite deserving of all the accolades it got. I'm a little late to it. I think it came out last year or the year before. Um, but uh, enjoying that thoroughly. Um, so I highly recommend Nickel Boys. I also read uh, a book called Glass Hotel, 
by the woman who wrote Station Eleven, and her name yeah. is escaping me at the moment. I've been burning through books at the rate that I don't even remember who who's writing what. But um, another, you know, it's a it's a uh, very uh, well done uh, book about um, a woman who uh, falls into a luxurious lifestyle that is provided um, by or uh, by a, a man who turns out to be a, a Bernie Madoff type. And it's uh, I really enjoyed that as well. So yeah, I that book um, a lot of great acclaim. You want to check it out? Yeah, I really really enjoyed it. So anyway, uh, you want to put a song on the uh, four million ten best songs of all time? Yeah, I do. Um, we are the world. No, I'm kidding. Um, I uh, I'm gonna put on a TV on the radio song, and um, it's a band obviously from the early two thousands who I think doesn't get enough credit from that early kind of resurgence of New York scene. To me, they were, you know, one of the most unique and uh, interesting bands out of that scene. Um, I think just mainly because the, the talent pool within that band and the ethnicity makeup, they had a, you know, kind of post-punk slash uh, soul and Prince vibe going on. But really hard band to pull a single out of because the albums are really dense and uh, Soundscape. So it was between two for me, and I'm, I'm going to go with the classic and, and one of the first songs that, um, well, it's actually not one of the first songs I heard by them, but, but one of my favorites by them is uh, Wolf Like Me off the uh, Good. Cookie Mountain soundtrack. Good, Mountain yeah. Mountain. I, I wanted Return to, to uh, <laughs> yeah, one of the weirdest uh, yeah, titles. Worst for album covers and, and weirdest album <laughs> titles, for sure. Um, well, I was going to go with something... Actually, I'm going to go with something that's new and and that I've been listening to a lot, which is uh, a band that's output's been pretty consistently good in the last couple of years. But I like this single a lot, and it's uh, "Need Your Love" by Tennis. Nice, yeah, that song's excellent. So anyway, you've got a hard stop. I will I not do. keep you. All right, let's we'll talk get soon. Back. Let's talk about uh, the best album so far in, in 2020. Awesome. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.